Welcome to the Victoria Anarchist Book Fair's week of podcasts and performances featuring local, national, and international activists and authors. The Book Fair Collective and From Embers have teamed up this year to release presentations over our podcast platform that can't be held in person due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Recordings of these voices of resistance were conducted on unceded Indigenous territories across so-called British Columbia and beyond. For more information about the book fair and a full schedule of online events, you can check out victoriaanarchistbookfair.ca. Listeners in the Victoria region are encouraged to visit Camus Books at camus.ca for anarchist publications and more. Thanks for listening. The Victoria Anarchist Book Fair Collective would like to acknowledge the interview you're about to hear with John Zerzan took place simultaneously on unceded Lekwungen territory in so-called Victoria, BC, and on traditional Kalapula lands in what is now called Eugene, Oregon. Thank you for attending this special podcast interview with John Zerzan, author of numerous publications exploring the pre-modern dimensions of our being. My name is Alan Antliff, and I'm privileged to have this opportunity to ask John a few questions related to current affairs in the United States and globally. John, I'm sure I'm not alone in wondering what your take is on the political situation in the United States. <clears throat> well, thank you, Alan. Thanks for this opportunity. Well, I think, uh, I mean, on the electoral level, that's the dominant, uh, that's what you get 24 hours a day down here. But in its way, I think it uh, parallels the decline of everything else, you know, everything more basic than that even. So, uh, you know, a lot of things are just up in the air, I think. You know, they've spent already over a billion dollars on this election uh, year campaign, and it's, it's just remarkable. You know, and I was thinking of this yesterday, way back, and I'm sure that it was 2004, I think it was Bush versus Kerry. Uh, it had to have been because I remember some people were saying, going to leave the country if Bush is reelected, going to move to Canada. <laughs> Probably nobody did that. But anyway, there was this house they used to bicycle past, festooned with all these very vehement anti-Bush uh, signs, yard signs and so forth. I mean, this is a liberal college town. It was very anti-Bush, you know. Anyway, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. yeah, Eugene, Oregon, right. So anyway, it just struck me that Bush is now, by these very same people, looked on very favorable, very favorable. I mean, after all, Joe Biden is really a moderate Republican, so why not? You know, I mean, the whole thing just keeps sinking, and I don't know, it just seems to be more stupid all the time, and they need to spend more billions to, to make the sorry con job even work. I mean... And yet we still don't know. They, they keep saying, oh, there's such huge interest. Well, we'll see. I mean, but I mean, the, that's, but what is the political situation? I mean, of course, there's so many things going on and there's so many restrictions going on. It's, it's hard to figure out what's, uh, what is ongoing or what is becoming ascendant or not. I mean, it's a, it's a big question. Well, we have that eruption of activism, anarchist activism in Portland, which um, you're not too far from. Can you tell us more about that? Oh, yeah, that's really incredible. Yeah, that's 100 miles to the north here at the other end of the valley, Willamette Valley. 90 consecutive nights, three months. That started after Mr. Floyd was murdered by the pigs, and it has not let up. They've declared it a riot, I think, 20 times out of out of these nights. It's a battle every single night. It's, it's really something. It's, it's so encouraging. It's, it's just so inspiring that people just turn out. And, you know, they drove Trump's federal goons out of town. You know, they tried to crack down. Well, <laughs> that wasn't working too well, man. So, and it's, of course, it's not just Portland. This past weekend, Denver was, you know, a real site of uh, resistance and, you know, many other places, which, I'm more aware of Portland, of course, but uh, yeah, that's just been pretty awesome. But I also would like to say, maybe this is the place to put it in. I'm not sure. I was thinking about the Antifa, yeah, which is sort of limited. I mean, if you're, 
I mean, of course, the key thing is is the Black Lives Matter and the allied parts of that, the native resistance to oppression. There have been some ties, you know, together, which is which I think is very hopeful to see. Um, anyway, that's it's just uh, you think, well, it's going to fade away. You can't be out there in the streets every night, it, you know. <laughs> really? Well, it looks like it. I mean, that's, I don't know, it just gives one uh, some encouragement for sure. Yeah, when you talk about um, uh, the situation in Portland, I'm thinking about, uh, do you have a sense of what's motivating people, what's sustaining them uh, beyond outrage? Is there a constructive side to things? I'm thinking of the Seattle actions where they actually you know, occupied territory for a while. Well, it strikes me that there's a lot under the surface, that there's really not only a lot at stake, but I believe we're beginning to see a deeper questioning. And I hope that happens because, uh, you know, as, as central as racism is to this system, to the dominant order, there's there are some other parts to it. And uh, maybe that'll get filled in. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think even in the anarchist milieu, I shouldn't say even in the anarchist milieu, but I think there are interesting developments there. For example, in my uh, my own focus, uh, anti-civilization uh, thinking, there have been two new uh, anti-civ zines from Ireland alone. I mean, I'm not saying that's a huge uh, wave of uh, suddenly everybody's anti- uh, anarcho-primitivist or green anarchy, but, you know, there's, there's, I think there's finally, and it's, I was waiting for there to be more of an opening. Okay, let's see. Maybe there's a way to contribute to the conversation at society. Maybe there'll be more opportunities, say, on media or whatever, you know. And, and that's, that's happening slightly, but not as much. I think it will happen uh, as these crises converge. You know, then you see everything is failing. It's all, it's a totality it's a civilizational thing and it's not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, the um, ecologically speaking, that's so blatant. And one of the things that I find remarkable is the level of denial on the part of the politicians, um, the, the, uh, the industrialists and so forth who are, who are caught up in that. I characterize it as an addiction um, relationship um, which they want to lure us into as well, <laughs> to industrialism. Um, now, another question I had for you was uh, Black Lives Matter specifically. Those protests have clearly rattled the powers that be. Um, and this leads me to think about the myths that have sustained the American nation state since its uh, inauguration. Um, do you think those myths can cope with Black Lives Matter? Well, that's a really good question. Can the narrative of America continue to roll on? Well, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think you can have the more radical ideas, but until the institutions uh, get a beating or are exposed or focused upon, then it's the inertia just keeps it rolling. And uh, maybe more people are wised up, but that in itself, I'm not even sure how far that goes in itself. It's it's necessary. I think it's essential, but it's uh, there are further steps, I think, that have to happen. What would those be? Well, I mean, for example, technology. You could say, uh, well, very few people believe in it. The kids are actually bored. They may be on their phone 24 hours a day, but that doesn't mean they believe in all that. They know how disconnected they actually are, a lot of them. Maybe they haven't articulated, but that doesn't make it go away. It's still there in the absence of alternatives. You know, you, you're kind of stuck with it. I mean, I hate to be sounding pessimistic about that, but that's, it just tells you, you know, where, what's the next step? You know, when are you going to counter this, this movement, this reality with something uh, and, instead of just nihilism or, you know, what, what I think is so corrosive actually in this, in this, atmosphere is how postmodernism has settled over the culture. I mean, postmodernism, you know, we haven't talked about that since the 90s, you know, that's kind of old hat. But I think 
what actually happened is culturally it, it just it connects uh with a lot of other stuff in other words if you have if you erase the foundations if there's no stable meaning if there's no actual basis for anything then you know then you're kind of sunk i mean and actually this is a huge stretch but actually bush excuse me bush uh trump he's no postmodernist but he partakes of that and all the liberals scream and yell about how many lies he tells per hour well they miss the point you know that in a way that's passé it's yeah it's it's horrible he's more than loathsome obviously but but you know now we're in a in a place where uh it's kind of a murky deal where you can't count on that you can you can expose it and so forth but if you don't have a you know something to uh stand on to you know what do you stand for that kind of question in a way that's kind of a corny old thing that's left the anarchist milieu that mm. you know what i mean i think there's some of that that's very very uh, deleterious well i have no argument with the idea that um donald trump is a postmodern president <laughs> um i actually uh, argued that <laughs> uh i was i was asked to write on a postmodernist artist and i ended um referencing trump this is before he got elected <laughs> all right, right. but uh, when i asked about uh the myth of the american nation state coping with black lives matter um what i was referring to there was um you know the white identity uh which was so powerful uh which facilitated the genocide against indigenous peoples and certainly facilitated the enslavement of um of africans and um the pulverizing of um of their ability to uh um you know literally sustain themselves um through through various brutal measures that were directed and the way in which that whole um relationship of oppression it just rolled on and on and on um and and here we are at this moment in the history of the united states where many people who uh who might have been co-opted into the mythos of america um in its white uh sense are um self-consciously rejecting that are affirming the truth that black lives matter and and simultaneously engaging in protests and everything that are questioning the mechanisms of oppression from the police to the prisons to the state itself um so mm -hmm. could you could you say a little bit more about that or do you have anything well yeah and i think it's uh, it's the actual presence it's the actual resistance that drives the uh the understanding you know the uh, the uh, opening to awareness of white privilege by the way i'm speaking on traditional kalapuya lands here and you know this whole thing is it is based on the 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 ideological oppression as well as the everyday oppression and that's a key thing it has to be undone and i but i do think you've got to uh there has to be something behind it as well i mean i i don't think there's a big argument about that you know uh okay that's that's one idea but you look around is with anything what's uh is there some uh i mean what makes it real what makes it even respectable well it's it's resistance and and we're having that so it's uh that ain't going away and uh that's that's what's required yeah and i think we can be somewhat hopeful about undoing this you know it it's at the core of this entire project of uh United States for sure. Yeah, resistance to transformation, solidarity, um a disintegrating of the racializing um um bigotry and so forth. Now, many know of you as a theorist, but you also have an activist history and that's not often talked about. I was wondering if you could describe some of the projects you've been involved in over the years and just flesh that story out for people. Well, I was very active in a housing co-op here in Eugene in the Whitaker neighborhood for 15 years mainly in the 90s. And that was a really, you know, self-managed thing. 
uh, and uh, I learned a lot from that. That was I wasn't expecting to, and so I was very active, and I was very involved in that. <clears throat> How did that uh, co-op come about? Well, I was actually living in a, a communal household right across the street, and I wasn't even aware that, that those the ensemble of those buildings was a co-op. Somebody said you ought to apply to the co-op. And I look out the window, what co-op, you know, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> the guy I was talking to was an artist who was part of the co-op, but he was not a red hot co-op guy. So I didn't learn about it from him. Anyway, yeah, I was lucky enough to get in and uh, that was very cool. And it turns out that that was at really at the crossroads of the Whitaker neighborhood, which was the ground zero for the anarchist upsurge in the late 90s and early 2000s in Eugene, and so I was very active in that. Um, Could you say a little more about that? Because uh, it's within my uh, history and yours, but some people I'm sure aren't familiar with it. Right, right, it's ancient history already for some. Well, it was, um, you know, one thing that one one could see about that was, and I hadn't, this did not occur to me either, but the the importance of a physical space, of a place to come together. And I think, you know, that's why Camus books is so important, I would say. Uh, anyway, that just was a, a really a cornerstone. It was there for a little while and I was, this is, it was called Icky's Tea House and it was kind of a warehouse. It was, it was lasted for about four years and had all kinds of stuff. It helped homeless people, had a free bike repair place, had a library and so on. It had a lot of punk shows there too. And what happened, the main thing that happened was at this time in the, from the mid nineties on, there was a lot of uh, forest defense out east to here, especially tree fits. You know, that was very, very strong. And then in the urban anarchist thing, which is to some degree, a punk thing, a young punk uh, character deal. We used to sit around at Ickes and say, you know, if, if this, anarchist, this urban anarchist thing ever connected with the forest defense, going to be pretty damn interesting. And ah. that's exactly what happened. Partly because there was a place like Ickes where people could come down from the, uh, from the forest and hang out there and, and things took off, man. And June of 99 was a four hour riot that had the cops on the run for hours. It was unbelievable out of nowhere, but these things never come from nowhere. I mean, that had to do a little bit, even with the uh, Unabomber phenomena. Anyway, six months later was Seattle. And uh, as then they used to say, the the horrible rioters from Eugene, the Eugene anarchists are going to come to come to Seattle and mess up all of our plans, you know, for the protest. That's kind of what happened. <laughs> so uh, that was exciting days. And that went on, you know, as I say, from the late 90s into, uh, well, up to, 9-11, let's say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 9-11 was quite the uh, quite the counterpunch, so to speak, on the part of uh, various governments trying to turn turn the page on uh, on what was building before then. Uh, could you say a little bit more about the link between the urban anarchist scene and the, and those who were defending the force? Uh, well, they realized. Urban punkers were not much in the woods, that nature wasn't their thing. <laughs> so it was, you didn't expect that, but these were all young people, as, as these things usually always are. And uh, they had a similar hatred of authority. And they decided to, to push on it and get out in the streets. And uh, there were all kinds of things going on. It was quite amazing. It was so vibrant for a little while. Mm. And I, you know, I'm all the way back from the 60s. I was really came of age in the 60s in Berkeley and San Francisco. And that was a long time between Eugene anarchy and what happened in the 60s and uh, the, the movement of the 60s. And I thought maybe it'll never come back, but you know, did come back somewhat. Uh, what was your path from, from that moment in the 60s to Eugene? Well, I think one part of it was it was kind of crushing when the 60s ended and it it's probably ended first or rather earlier in the Bay Area. And it was hard to take. Some people didn't even survive. You know, they thought it was the winds were going to keep blowing in this 
hopeful way for change and all these exciting things that happened. Well, it came to an end and that was that, you know, it's anyway, it was an occasion for many people, I think, to try to figure it out. What, what did we miss? I mean, what was, why didn't it go longer? I mean, what, what was it all about? And, and you know, are you thinking, I mean, one of the things that this is, uh, sorry to interject, but I always think about the framing of quote, the sixties and what do I tick off? Uh, real rise of ecological consciousness. Um, uh, anarchistic ways of, of self-organizing and various realizations of that. Um, the protests against the war, huge. And so I, I extend the 60s into the 70s. <laughs> um, and then I think about uh, when, did that, when did the law hit and, and how to account for that? Was it the end of the Vietnam War, so to speak, that... Uh, brought things to a, to an end or were people well in my experience it ended in 1969 after they okay. shot people over people's park in berkeley okay. and uh i mean the other stuff the 70s to me was asked and you know these dopey uh groups for middle class people that was that was nothing like the 60s so i'm talking about resistance actual uh -huh. yeah so that's i mean but that's that's my personal you know my own my own history of it but uh oh yeah well that's what i'm interested in that's why i'm asking you about it um so there's this new age like we could call it uh yes, yes. wave in in berkeley that kicks off really early in the 70s yeah uh but a lot of us uh <laughs> i don't know who all this would be but a lot of it found that just dreadful just a lot of uh the crap you get when the battle's over and you lost and you have this mm -hmm. dumb things. Anyway, that's, I'm sure that isn't being fair to it in general, but I mean, it was very hard times. It was, you know, like I said, some people couldn't survive. The movement was over. The war was lost, period. And for people that were involved more or less at that level, then of course, if you weren't, you know, it was more a lifestyle thing then fine. And then you find interesting things to do in the seventies and, and whatever, but I think more about the punk thing that came 76, 77, when that broke out in England and, and here, of course. And that was, some of us thought that might actually jumpstart the movement of the 60s because it was very, very uh, hostile. You know, it had a hell of an edge. Everybody knows that. But Absolutely. But, but yeah. it was so nihilist. I mean, I knew kids, they were just dropping left flies. There was ODs every week, people I knew. And they were just dying of heroin, and, you know, just there were there were some positive things that happened. But overall, it was a desperation, plain and simple. There was no there was no connection to the 60s, really. Mm -hmm. Well, I think of uh, um, it's good that you brought that up because um, that was in this third place called Canada. Um, that was my conception of the punk scene in the United States, that it was very, uh, it, it, to some degree, they didn't quite catch on to the anarchist politics that were animating groups like Crass and so forth, or up here, uh, de, uh, Dead on Arrival, the connection with the Vancouver Five and stuff like this. There was a much more politi political and constructive side to punk um, that to some degree was missed out in the U.S., I'm sure there are people that say that isn't true at all, but what you're what you're talking about sounds it, it rings true to me um, in terms of the nihilistic thing. Yeah, the music. I mean, these the bands that we hung out with they were completely uh, negative. <laughs> in fact, one of the most popular ones was called Negative Trend. You know, I mean, they were all <laughs> they despised everything, and I remember uh, once or twice, at least once or twice. There was this uh, Filipino supper club, the Mabuhe Gardens on Broadway in North Beach. It, it became the punk headquarters. All the bands played there. Well, it was on Broadway. And if you continued up Broadway, you get, you're on Pacific, up on Pacific Heights where all the rich people lived, where Nancy Pelosi lived before she became more famous. And sometimes punks would jump into a car and drive up there after the shows and jump out with bars and chains and rocks and just trash the hell out of the expensive cars, jump back in their car and get away 
before the cops showed up. But uh, it, it, mostly it was just so negative in, in a nihilistic sense and in a self-destructive sense. Mm -hmm. So how were you dealing with that moment? Well, I was drinking heavily. I, I was, uh, I was, it was dawning on me that the 60s wasn't going to come back anytime soon. And friends of mine were already in prison and uh, just, it was a very dark time for me. Okay. But um, politically, you got beyond that. Well, I was, I was still, I was trying to write a bit. I was trying to do, I was trying to just hold it together. And mm -hmm. I, I was scared by how much I was drinking. And well, I was managing to pull out of that in the uh, early eighties. So uh, I, and I moved back to Oregon. That was, that was a healthy move just to. Yeah. I was just curious about that. When did you move back to Oregon? 81. 81. Okay. I was born up San Francisco. And um, did you get con did you get into contact with any people in there first or make forge those kinds of connections at all? Well, a little bit. Um, the Earth First Journal was uh, was put out here in Eugene, Chris, but that was the nineties. It wasn't the eighties. It was you know, the women's the radical women's movement was over, I think, to generalize a lot, but you know, that showed up too late to sort of save the movement of the 60s. You know, in the early 70s, that was strong, but uh, that was done. So there were no social movements that I could detect. So uh, it, so I had a lot of time. Uh, I was living by selling my plasma mostly and other things like that. So I had the time to write or think. I mean, I was at the University of Oregon Library often seven days a week, you know, trying to and I spent a whole year on a single essay because there wasn't anything else, you know, there wasn't anything else political to do. A lot of pacifists here and all the usual liberal crowd that I was not interested in at all. So in a way it was lucky for me, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, avoid some of the things and just, you know, kind of still be a sort of sixties person minus the sixties, you know, just <laughs> outside of things a bit. Uh-huh. Okay. Do you want to hear your voice on the radio? You can volunteer at CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Host your own show or play with sound behind the scenes. It's up to you. Visit CFUV.ca for more details. No previous experience required. So your activism turned to writing. Yeah. And then you started contributing to the Fifth Estate. Right, right. From the mid-70s on, that was a lifeline. Mm -hmm. Also the journal Telos, the theory journal. Yeah. They yeah. didn't like what I wrote, but they, they often published it. So those, I had some connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Anarchy Magazine. Definitely. So in a way, that's, that's a different kind of activism. Uh, it's sowing seeds of thought, critique, insight, and so forth. And supporting, in the, in the case of uh, the Fifth Estate and Anarchy Magazine, two uh, self-identifying uh, projects, publishing projects, which are anarchists, which in turn fostered um, a very rich network, you know, um, and percolated ideas, which and ideas, as we know, lead to action. Mm -hmm. so, well, as Adorno used to say when he was uh, criticized in the 60s for it's time to drop the theory, it's time for the action, mm -hmm. you pointed out that theory is action. Mm -hmm. You've got to, mm -hmm. that's the part and parcel of it. You can't do without it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, yeah, we got to know where we're going to get there. Yeah, there you go. What to avoid. So the uh, the involvement in the housing co-op, uh, yeah, I, I I visited the anarchists in Philadelphia, and they own a whole bunch of places. You know, it's, you really see how how um, 
how that kind of just to control the basic need like that, right? Um, yeah. And form a base, as you're saying, also with the with the uh, with the uh, cafe you're talking about uh, having a social space in Eugene. Um, that's where things can happen, you know. It frees people up from the scramble of trying to figure out where they're going to live, for example. And so it's important to uh, be involved in such projects. Oh, yeah. How are you contributing to the uh, co-op? Uh, well, I was sort of the chairman of the House and Grounds Committee for most of those years. Uh, and that was fun, you know, just the general work and projects that we had. And um, yeah, it was, it was not, it was an intentional community. Right. Uh, I mean, Nikki's Tea House, that was an anarchist punker thing. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, but so there were various kinds of people in the co-op and the EBHC, which made it interesting, you know, and, and I learned a lot about the way women operate. I mean, there were a lot of single parents they weren't all single moms. At one time, I remember we had three or four single dads, uh, among other people, you know, but uh, just working, you know, meetings, just the run-of-the-mill stuff that you do to run the co-op. I began to notice much more, in a much more practical way, a real way, the differences. You know, so often men are jockeying for some competitive position, even when we're not even thinking of it, we're doing it unconsciously maybe. And uh, whether you see, I would, you know, to generalize a lot, but I mean, women like to get things done. They, they avoid a lot of that crap. And I, I began to really notice that and see how things could, you know, how you could just uh, do things better. Mm -hmm. Cooperative, consensual, listening, sharing differences as well as the things you agree with, respect for each other. Yeah, these are all really vital lessons. Um, now have, you, uh, have you been involved in any indigenous sovereignty struggles in your, in your uh, part of the US? Um, I'm just thinking about what we've been dealing with uh, here in, in, in so-called British Columbia. Oh, and indeed, in many other places in Canada. Uh, oh, that's for sure. Yeah, and I, I was just curious about what's been going on in your region. Well, nothing like what's going up, going on up there in so-called BC and other parts of Canada. But you know, the question about activism—that's where I'd like to be more of an activist. But as yet, what I'm getting at is the the possible connection between the. Uh, anti-civilization, primitivist, rewilding, all of that sort of thing, mainly white, uh, and the uh, anti, the decolonization efforts, the renewal of indigenous communities. And we've, there's been a little bit of that. Uh, I think there's got to be a lot more for, for there to be an authentic uh, resistance I mean, from our point of view, what we have, what we learn, what we're inspired by is exactly the indigenous dimension. And, but there can be even, there can be something, you know, in a more practical sense, even than, uh, you know, enriching one's theory and, and learning, you know, all these different things. What did people used to eat before uh, farming? And, you know, all these, all these many, many things, uh, past and present, but I mean, there, there needs to be, and what I want to work on more is forging more connections there. Oak Journal is a new project. They're, they're coming out with number two, issue two in September, and they have the same perspective. How do we, how do we move forward? You know, where do we, where do we get some, uh, some of what we need that we don't have? And, and get out of our privilege and, and really learn something. And, and we've had the great fortune to be able to talk with Native people, at least a few, you know, and to find that we have very much common interests. And despite the vast cultural differences, you know, we're, we don't even use the same words in the same way. You know, let's face it, it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. And 
uh, but that's that's where I'd like to be in terms of uh, activist uh, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the journal you mentioned? Oak. Oak. Yeah, or Where's Oak that? Journal. Where's yeah, that? well, the main editor lives in West Virginia. He's already, uh, well, there, there are a few of us that are working on that, but uh, I think that's going to play a very cool role. Mm. Are there any indigenous contributors? Uh, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, there's, I wish I had it in front of me. Sure. It's a little bit, that more than some anarchist projects, and maybe not enough, but the F word is to have a more inclusive reach and not just be satisfied with, well, we've got our little anarchist uh, niche, a little sandbox. There's a lot of that, you know as if they don't even know what's going on or care among some people uh, whom I won't name, but, you know, this is trying to make the connections and hear from other people. And I think it's, it's a good start. And I think there'll be more, especially more in the way of interviews along these lines. Mm -hmm. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, I was flipping through your uh, your latest book, Why Hope, and I was thinking about um, insights you might be able to offer concerning what it means to be healthy. I was particularly struck by that chapter on uh, the concept of what it means to be healthy. Um, could you share some of those insights? Well, it's so much easier to point out the level of dis-ease or lack of health, I mean, especially in the pandemic uh, context, obviously, but it's, I don't know, I, I'm hoping it's clearer where we need to go to be able to have health. You know, there's just, there are all these claims and promises. It's just astounding how how reality is so different. And one thing I was thinking of the key word for modernity seems to be loneliness. There's just tons of articles and studies about loneliness in various countries, England, not just the U.S., but other countries, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, now that we're in the technosphere, <coughs> the technoculture where virtually everything is being defined and deformed by, by technology, the main claim, it seems to me, is connection. We're all connected now. It's absolutely false. It's exactly the opposite. And I think it is pretty much a function. It's not the only factor, but it really has to do with that. And you were mentioning the virtual, you know, and that the, the separation. We're just moved away from each other and moved away from the earth just in such a strident way. You know, it's, that's, uh, there can't be health without that being reversed. And now everything, well, especially now, but of course this is moving forward fast, well before the pandemic conditions, you know, telemedicine and all these different ways to be remote and detached and separated. Uh, and all of the, the way the technology is filling in the things that we used to know how to do, the de-skilling that's going on, the, you know, it's, we're getting displaced by algorithms and, and AI, although artificial intelligence is not nearly what they often claim it can do, but, you know, it's just becoming a ruin and, and, a, and a wasteland more and more. It's just, you know, galloping along. And uh, that's got to be addressed uh, more directly, I think, the, the, the actual role of that. Kids don't go outside anymore. Direct experience itself is disappearing. I mean, really staggering stuff. And there won't be health until you do something about that, that basic, that basic thrust. How did it get this way? I mean, what's going on here? Mm. Yeah, well, I, I imagine the, 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 the things that you're talking about is unhealthy are very much, as you're suggesting, candelivered around saturation, uh, technological saturation, and a postmodern displacement from, from the reality that's just outside your door. You know, um, of course, going around the world, I mean, I, um, I don't see quite the same intensity of alienation, structured alienation, uh, say in a village in India, for example, and 
I speak as someone who's been there recently, as compared to as compared to North American cities or villages and towns. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? The the disjuncture between the technocentric um, industrialized heartland and and the so-called uh, periphery. <laughs> Oh, I think you're, that's, uh, I'm really glad you brought that up, Alan. That's really, uh, it's such a clear distinction. I mean, we, we ask, we talk about community. Well, there's no more community in some places. <laughs> in other places there is. I've been to India a few times myself and, you know, there is community. There, there's, uh, there's a connection. Uh, there's the human touch. There are all these things that are being, you know, replaced with these substitutes and people, of course, driven into the cities more and more. I mean, all of it. And that's what underlies the uh, so-called development. I mean, you can't breathe the air in so many parts of India. It's, I think it's even worse in China, although I haven't been to China. But, you know, this is, uh, this is the way it goes. You know, this is the price. And it's becoming just uh, uh, intolerable. You know, it's, it's, you know, when I was in India, it, and I was a few times, but I mean, what I would- What took you there? What took you to India? Well, as a matter of fact, it was just, actually it was technology. There was a guy who was uh, just kind of surfing around and he ran across some stuff I, I wrote. And uh, he, you know, you know, friendly chat, you know, he probably never, chat with the guy again and he said well you should come over to India and speak and I, I, I thought to myself well, that would be cool but that will never happen I don't have the money to do that well it turns out he was a, a very famous musician uh, uh, Rabi Shankar uh, and Rabi was a big rock star he had the, the number one album in a country of what two billion or something so I mean here, you know you and your wife he, he brought us over three times. Well, my Alice didn't go the third time. It was just too hard to take. But uh, yeah, so I was met up with other, quote, primitivists over there. And uh, yeah, it was just a total fluke. I mean, it was just the generosity of this guy who was well aware of what was going on. Well, that's mutual aid for you right there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That is minus for me anyway. And where were you in India? Uh, mostly Delhi. He lived in Delhi, but... Uh, we had some speaking tours, a few of us, uh, Mumbai, and, and then even on one of the trips, we even got way down to the south in Kerala. And, oh, beautiful uh, part of the world. Oh, isn't it? I had it's no idea. It was so green. You know, Delhi in the north is dusty. And I green. know, I know, yes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> the contrast is quite something. Yeah. I did, talked you, to the did you meet Vandana Shiva at all, or...? Yeah, we had an evening with her, uh, a few of us, and a filmmaker friend. Uh, it was, I don't know, it was sort of, it was fun. I mean, it was a rare pleasure to get to chat with her, but uh, it was a little unsatisfying. And some of the, some of our friends were a little, they were a little displeased with me that I didn't go after her a little more. But I didn't feel that was my place to do that. And <laughs> well, someone you know, welcomes you in, right? And then you're exactly. <laughs> I wanted to be. I was very grateful, you know. But well, let me just put it this way: her. Uh, oh no! Wait a minute. I think we're talking about two different people. Who's the novelist? The uh, there's the other, not the other, but I'm talking person. about the person who's the anti-biotech, uh, very rooted um, activist. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was talking. I was thinking about the uh, the novelist. Uh, very. Oh gosh. Oh, why can I not think of her name? Very well known. Uh, anyway, probably because we didn't know we'd be talking about India. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the. I life apologize. <laughs> no, we got yeah. off on that. Yeah. Well, this person who's it doesn't matter. I guess what the name is, but she wrote. Uh, in fact, she gave lectures in the U.S. called Leave the Bauxite in the Mountains. She ah. was very much pro-Adivasi, very much uh, defending 
the tribal people against mm -hmm. the mining, yes. the horrible. So crucial. Yeah. Speaking mm -hmm. of indigeneity and struggles and sovereignty. Exactly. Yeah. And I bet we'll both come to think of her name. But anyway, uh, what she didn't come down with, I mean, the question is, the critics would say, okay, want to leave the box out of the mountains? Well, say goodbye to industrialism. And for some of us, yes, exactly. That's the point. But she kind of always avoided that. It's She didn't really mean leave the box out of the mountains. So anyway, very, very cool person and very, very brave person. She was, oh her life God, has yes. been at stake. Yeah. You know, these mafia types who defend the mining development, not to mention the government, her life was in danger. And this small person who's who's really put it on the line. So anyway, we had sort of, it was just kind of a minor theoretical quibble, but uh, yeah. it was a good discussion. Ransom notes. Anarchist and anti-authoritarian music podcast. That's going to come out every month. Ransom what? So what's like, I mean, what's your like ultimate goal, I guess, in the end of the year? We are for the Rising up against the oppressor. That you see in hip hop. Let me uh, give you a sample of some of the uh, lyrics that had some of the older ladies among the stockholders quite with dismay. Go to ransomnotes.com. Or get them from the Channel Zero Network. Yeah, I'm, I'm struck again by the, the strength of uh, resistance and um and making it known and how other people are just waiting for that right someone like that and i think emma goldman said something about this you know that uh that those who change uh um you know it's a minority position but it it can quickly transform others and uh inspire well change for the good um uh, we were rambling about Why Hope, which is the title of your book. Um, and I was asking you about getting healthy, and you're talking about making that connectedness with the natural, with with uh, with the earth, and renewing that as a baseline. And of course, um, the criticisms of about the lack of that arising from the saturation of technology. But um, why did you title your book Why Hope? Well, it's kind of odd, really. I mean, there's only one uh, piece in the book that is oh, it's actually called Why Hope, and kind of a stretch to to name it that, I guess. But maybe the, maybe one Not thing. Not a bad title. Well, good, thanks. Well, I was getting bashed a lot by anarchists, actually. You know, Zerzin is hopeful. He's this old guy. What was he talking about? That's that's dopey. It's hopeless. I mean, a lot. Right? A lot of people, Paul Kingsnorth in England, a lot of people have just bailed. Don't be an idiot. We're not going to win. You know, and if you're peddling hope, that's misplaced and stupid and everything. So anyway, that's probably why I named it that. <laughs> uh-huh. Which I don't, because I don't accept that. You don't close the door entirely on possibilities. If you do, well, you're not very interesting to me if you do that. And, Absolutely. I think of it as a kind of deterministic attitude, really, ironically. I mean, what are we if not creative beings? That's what saturates all the natural world. Exactly. In a way, hope is an engine of that kind of natural being. And, and so, I, yeah, so I, I found that title to your book very uh, well. Um, it struck me in the heart. Let me put it that way. Oh, gee, thank you. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share? Uh, huh, can't think of it. We've, we've kind of wandered around a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's been really fun. Oh, you know, me too, man. Me too. Very well, good. Yeah. Um, we're interviewing a lot of interesting people. Uh, it's going to be quite a suite of, uh, of podcasts. And I'm delighted that you agreed to, uh, to join our project. So thank you for this discussion, John. All right. Thank you. Yeah, uh, listeners may be interested in Anarchy Radio, which is your broadcast, right? Uh, when does that come out? That's, um, well, it's the same time zone. It's uh, 7 p.m. Tuesdays, or go to kwvaradio.org.
the, the shows are all uh, archived at my johnzerzan.net website. Okay. And they can listen just by going johnzerzan.net backslash radio? Well, that's where they're archived, but to get it live, kwvaradio.org, or dot, uh, yeah, dot org. Okay. Well, thanks again for making time for us. Wow, great. Be yeah. well, my friend. Yeah, for sure. Let's keep in touch. Mm. CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria has an ample supply of programs to delight your senses. From shoegaze to hardcore, from Polish to Punjabi, and from live interviews to on-demand podcasts, we've got you covered. Find your perfect fit at cfuv.ca. Reality Unmask the truth They're killing our youth I'm making native cartoons To get away with abuse They blame us In the news Well they excuse The accused Excuse After excuse Not guilty verdicts I'm confused In the hands of white jurors All smoke and mirrors RCM Hating Sloppy investigating Hating on these natives Canada lives and lives Snakes in disguise While they take indigenous lives Genocide in slow-mo I see you dressing on Trudeau White paper on 2.0 When the tension is high Relatives with the signs Women warrior front lines This is, this is our time When the tension is high Relatives with the signs Women warrior front lines. This is this is our time. Got me bringing up the heat from the east. That deep. Wake up if you sleep. Wearing mocks on my feet. Like cousin, did you eat? Corn beans and squash, but don't forget none. From the father and the mom, born a daughter and a son. Two spirits out of one. We evolved you just begun. Like scolding, get some. I'm a hood and queer that was raised as a deer. Had a drink in seven years. Now I'm living in the clear. Put that pain in. My name is Eunice Joe. My new channel name is Tlashucks, and I invite you to tune in to the award-winning First Nations radio show, Siamna Swamot. Tune in every Wednesday, 11 a.m. on CFUV 101.9 FM, UVic Campus Radio, Siamna Swamot, my honored Native fellow people. No more, I can feel my life flow I can feel his rays when the light's low Might slow down on the mic, I will not go Every time I think the 
gig is over, there's an encore Do you want more? My roots run deep and wide Down to that living water inside I got an overflow, here comes the rain But my hope floats, friends, folks and strangers All attest to what I wrote No joke, peep my life story I am just a walking testimony of the grace he has bestowed on me Fear is real, faith is the muscle I build Give me the strength to move mountains and I will, yeah Feel the spirit, people are reborn through it I am not your savior or the answer, but I can't do it Lost and found in the music, all of y'all know the truth When you hear it, your soul will lead you to it Yeah <laughs> Let the beat go Plenty seeds like Come on If you do the math, you're on the right path Everything is everything, natural law Still strong after all the wrongs We still sing victory songs Never disappear, we hear Strong heart, mind, and spirit Baby, be great and fearless Ask question in stillness Take a deep breath, manifest You'll never be without In time it will work out Build up your spirit, all my nations, all my relations, strength and foundations. POC is the key, it's in the trees, it's in the breeze. Connected, uh, yeah, and me. It's not complicated, defend the sacred waters in the land, it's all part of the plan. So many teachings, so many meanings, so many feelings, creating life while we're dreaming. Women are supernatural beings, crashing all through the ceilings. Our lyrics are healing. E.T., J.B., Missy D., it's all going down. It's all going down. We let it breathe like... We planting seeds like We let it breathe like Missy D ha. Talk about God is what we planting Some of the seeds Talk about the way you and I live and breathe Little bean, little seeds What you want me to do? Talk about the real you and the real roots Don't worry about it, you know that you got me It's more than a harmony Feel the air we breathe TLC, our lights float like waterfalls Don't go chasing them dollars lie. So plant your feet, talk to the ancestors High and low, it's not the amount of shows Amount of gold, water your seeds and watch it grow Respect to our youth and our elder folks I sang it to you, you, you a daughter a soul I plant seed in these rhymes, let it yield and so forth Melodies fade, melodies made Back to summer the days, summer days Take me back, back to a time Back to the future where it blooms And aligns, home is where I belong Rise up to the voices in this song Rise up, rise up, and listen Listen up, are you the token of the art? Or you've come really far? Change is what we are, you can take this apart. The seed is in you, planted from above, but we down our people. I said, the seed is in you, planted from above, but we down our people. Grow, go, grow, go, grow. Red in my waist, red in my days, red in my phrase, red is okay. Red in my waist, red in my days, red in my phrase, red is okay. Wide in the space, wide in the face, why do they hate? Trying to win a race, but who's leading? Who's beating? Who's leading? Who's beating? Elder seating with heating, serve first eating, government scheming, young family healing, in the language dreaming, but collective records say we are better, connected to seasons and weather, talking circle, uh, past the feather, circle is wrong, who's really wrong, did the wrong, sing the songs, make us strong, come along, decolonize, re-indigenize, no mistake, rematriate, no mistake, rematriate. Red in my waist, red in my days, red in my phrase, red is okay. Red in my waist, red in my days, red in my phrase, red is okay. Defend till the end, red till the end, energy bend, spend till the weekend. My energy bending, sending to the universe, always rehearse. Break the ceremony with ancestors, never lonely. Love turquoise and abalone, one heart, one mind. Take it as a sign, read between the lines Stay strong, women warrior song In the streets sing along Rip and skirt, don't hurt No consent, assert 
Bye, Pop.